Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome an accomplished entrepreneur from India, Mr. Vaibhav Chabra. Vaibhav, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, Weber is the founder and chief learning officer at Makers Asylum. He has been driving open innovation and hands-on education. He's also a visiting faculty at IDC IIT Bombay, uh, judge school at Cambridge University, care, uh, chair for innovation and entrepreneurship at Young Indians. Uh, he's also a global and shaper, at, a global shaper at the World Economic Forum and a member of the French President's Young Leaders Club. Wow, what amazing achievements. Uh, so, Weber, before we start talking about Mace Maker's Asylum, tell me a little bit about your own amazing journey. Sure. Uh, so, growing up, I grew up in uh, Delhi, mm -hmm. and uh, I went to a regular school. I actually changed four schools in the same city, mm -hmm. because it was very hard for me to fit into any of them. Uh, uh, I used to love uh, making stuff and breaking things. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'll rephrase that, actually. I used to love opening things up, okay. and uh, but I did not know how to make them, mm. or I did not know how to put them back together. Mm. And that was mainly the reason why I went for engineering school, because I wanted to be in a place where I could learn about how to also start putting things back together. Because mm. whenever I used to get a cycle or a TV or any little gadget, I, I used to open it up, and that Take was part, my yeah. favorite part of the day. Mm. But, uh, just see what's inside it didn't mm. know what's going on but used to just like it mm. uh school wasn't the best time for me but uh college was really really exciting i had the opportunity to go to boston and uh, being fortunate to be there and uh, to be able to learn with some really uh, amazing folks but most importantly i think what i found over there was uh this beautiful community of makers mm. People in different garages, workshops, making stuff from Baja cars to uh, UAV drones. This was about 15 years back. But yeah. still, at that time, they were doing these amazing things. And they were so welcoming and warm to letting more people join mm. and sharing their skills. That culture was something that uh, I felt like I belonged mm -hmm. there and I wanted to be there. And I used to spend all my nights. Mm. That sort of... A little bit about me. <laughs> amazing. amazing. And, you know, you also refer to yourself as a mechanical engineer turned carpenter and educator. Um, help me uh, help me understand this. Uh, and what, what what is the meaning of this phrase? Sure. So I'm a mechanical engineer by training. Officially, I went to study mechanical engineering. Yeah. But uh, what I did fall in love with was carpentry. And uh, today as well... Uh, I spend a lot of time doing carpentry and I teach the carpentry port course at Makers Asylum mm -hmm. where we have people from all over uh, the country flying down to come and learn some carpentry from us. So it's quite quite a beautiful experience to be able to share that skill with everyone. Amazing. And, uh, I would say the reason why I actually fell in love with carpentry is because uh, one, it's very meditative. If you think about it, when a carpenter is working, there is a rhythm that he's following and that rhythm, finding that rhythm in your uh, work or whatever you're doing is uh, quite a meditational experience where you're uh, able to just tune into your work, mm. do it, and then get out of it. And 
in college, I discovered that I, uh, I mean, I didn't know any of these terms existed, but I had ADHD and dyslexia, mm -hmm. which uh, sort of worked well for me when it came to hands-on work. Okay. And I was able to use uh, all those, uh, uh, well, things that they call uh, in my favor to uh, spend more time inside the shop mm. and actually use my hands to be able to create beautiful things. Amazing. Amazing. Well mm. said. Thank you. So let's talk about Makers Asylum uh, now, Webhav. What inspired you to create this community space? And how do you envision the role of the space in fostering innovation? Um, sure. So, um, as I said, when I was in Boston, I had access to some really amazing garages and spaces and workshops uh, where people were making beautiful things. And they were making it for, because they wanted to make it. And that was a culture that I really, really enjoyed. Right. There wasn't like an agenda attached to it. There wasn't an exam at the end. There wasn't a, because coming out of school, we were always just running out to these exams and yeah. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And there was nobody telling you what equipment not to use. Don't touch this. Don't do that. There was nobody telling you these things, but everyone was very open. Mm -hmm. That open culture is what I fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a job after college uh, at this startup called Ayanetra, which mm -hmm. is based out of MIT Media Labs. Mm -hmm. Uh, which was a great experience for me because I got to uh, work with some really amazing scientists and researchers who were doing some very cutting edge work. And uh, during that time, my professor at that time, Professor Ramesh, uh, he asked me to move to India and uh, come back and do more clinical trials for the iDetra device and see how we can take such a beautiful portable iDiagnostic device to the masses. And I thought that was a beautiful opportunity. So mm -hmm. I took the next flight. And I moved back. I always wanted to come back. And this time I landed up in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Mumbai in 2012. Mm -hmm. So uh, right about there, uh, there weren't any maker spaces. There weren't any labs. Mm -hmm. So when I was working on these devices, it was very difficult to find a place or a 3D printer or even just simple tools to work on it. Mm -hmm. No university was open for people from outside to come in. Mm. No lab was able to let you go in. No company was opened at that time to allow you to go and see how mm. things are being made. Uh, everything was under some sort of an IP or some sort of a restriction. Mm. So I didn't enjoy that too much. Mm. And uh, I used to spend most of my days at that time in Marolnaka, uh, which were the industrial slums uh, mm. where I uh, made a lot of friends and uh, I think that is a beautiful inspiration when it comes to uh, the way the work happens on the streets and it's beautiful. So I spent a lot of time learning the lathe machine, learning the milling machine and a few other machines and perfected them to be able to manufacture my own de devices versus uh, uh, 3D printing them or anything else. So I was actually going backwards in technology, yeah. but actually learning a lot more mm. in the process. Mm. Uh, and it was a great time, actually. I was honestly having a beautiful uh, learning experience and doing some really exciting work. And just about then, a very interesting accident happened. Mm -hmm. uh, the ceiling of our office at Ayanetra's office fell down mm -hmm. and yeah. broke pretty much everything. So we had all our furniture and equipment lying over there and the ceiling fell and it crashed down and uh, all our equipment, all our tables, all our furniture broke. So I called my boss at that time, uh, the India head of Ayanetra, mm. and told him that, listen, this is the problem. 
the landlord is not ready to get us new furniture. What do you mind if I call my friends and make some furniture on the weekend? Mm. He said, go for it. So that was the turning point, I guess, in my life. Mm. Because then we reached out to people on Facebook, Twitter, other places. Mm. And six very amazing people showed up. Uh, just randomly, folks that I'd maybe never met or met maybe once before. Mm-hmm. To spend the weekend with me, learning about carpentry, sharing tools, uh, and making three tables. Right. And that was the beginning of the community uh, that we call Makers Asylum. And it started out from that back room. Eventually, it moved around quite a bit. Fantastic. That's the story for later. Fantastic. <laughs> and one, of course, the disciplines that I know you have in the Makers Asylum is carpentry. What about the other disciplines that are there within the organization? And how do these disciplines complement one another? Sure. So now when you come inside Makers Asylum, so we are in this beautiful 100-year-old Goan Portuguese home in Goa. And there is everything from laser cutting, 3D printing, carpentry, welding, metalworking, mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of electronics, robotics, uh, and uh, even some pottery and textiles, so stitching machines, mm-hmm. everything in one place. Hmm. which is exciting because it wasn't the case when we started. Mm -hmm. And all of these tools were actually things that came into existence because of the community. Right. Uh, So when I say that, most of the tools, actually, we don't even own. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bosch and Dremel put the tools inside uh, the woodshop. Ador sponsored the metalworking stuff. Some folks gave the textile machine. Somebody donated 3D printers. Mm -hmm. So it was a community effort building all of these things. Mm -hmm. The reason why they all complement each other, because if you think about it, uh, um, when you start working on any project, like having a variety of tools mm. really, really helps in uh, pretty much anything. Right. And really increases your exposure uh, to what is even possible. Mm. People have made anything from uh, a satellite ground station to making skateboards, to making six-axis six robotic arms and yeah. made a multi-million dollar startup out of there, or making uh, agricultural-based stuff, or making leather bags and notebooks uh, to uh, pens and uh, origami. So mm. the stuff that Very is possible nice. over here yeah. is quite amazing. Mm. And uh, they aren't the most high-end tools, but mm. the fact that you're able to combine various things. So like you said, when you think about woodworking, mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, woodworking, metalworking, this is the inspiration behind all the CAD modeling softwares Correct. today. Correct. I mean, when you look at the SolidWorks or the Autodesk of the world, which we use uh, for designing, mm-hmm. when we're designing stuff, having the knowledge of carpentry or metalworking really helps in working on 3D designs because that's how you think, right? You're able to take a solid piece yeah. and shave out different parts and create your final object. And then if you take that into the 3D printer, you're able to manufacture many of them. Mm. Uh, There is a very interesting story that I would uh, like to talk about, if you'd like, of uh, the pandemic, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, of how these tools came in handy, if you'd like, and if we have the time. (laughs) No, please go ahead and tell me the story. Sure. So so in the pandemic, something really interesting happened. So... When we started from the garage in 2013, slowly, slowly, we had kept growing. Right before the pandemic, I would say in March 20, uh, uh, 2020, 
we uh, reached a point where we had a massive space in Bombay, almost 10,000 square feet. We had a space in New Delhi, Jaipur, a few other places. And we were growing in a different way. All organically, this has not been funded by anyone. It's a very uh, self-sustained mm -hmm. idea was to build the culture more. And then the pandemic happened and all our programs, all our courses, uh, everything came to a halt. Mm -hmm. So we were really scared because obviously all our international partnerships, we had students coming in from different universities, everything canceled. So we were very scared. But what we did differently was that uh, none of us went back home. Mm -hmm. We decided to camp at Baker's Asylum, be around our tools and see what we can do. And uh, in the first wave, uh, if you remember, there was this massive PPE shortage. Mm -hmm. So we started prototyping face shields at Maker's Asylum using the laser cutting machine and the 3D printers and stuff. Mm -hmm. Made it, figured out a really exciting design uh, using a very frugal material and everything. Mm -hmm. And then open sourced that as well while we were making them mm -hmm. so that other people could make them locally. Mm -hmm. What happened was quite intense. Within 49 days of from March 23rd, which is the first day of the yeah. lockdowns, we were able to make 1 million facials. Wow. This went on to become uh, not only a case study by Cambridge University and uh, many other and MIT as well now, mm -hmm. and a few other universities, but also was talked widely about from all the magazines like Vogue and all everyone that spoke about it, which was great. Amazing. But what really happened at this time was quite exciting. What happened over here was that we were able to take an existing machine, like a laser cutting machine, mm -hmm. create a simple design of a face shield, get the approvals of the hospital, and then share that design uh, virtually with other laser cutting shops, mm -hmm. maker labs, and universities in different cities, towns, and villages, mm -hmm. and help them come on board so they can also start making for their local mm -hmm. uh, ecosystems. And by the end of it, just in a matter of 49 days, there were 42 cities, towns, and villages that to join the force and made this possible. So it wasn't only us making, mm. but a tool like laser cutting, which is all about digital fabrication, mm. allowed something like that to happen, to be able to create designs, share them quickly, allow other people to make it. Mm. Not only that, I guess, uh, sorry, but go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, please go ahead. What a fascinating story. Uh, thank you. But not only that, I mean, we worked with Ames Hospital on active respirators. In the second wave, we were able to make oxygen concentrators. And again, once again, open hardware oxygen concentrators from the thought of mm. not building it ourselves, but by sharing the knowledge so that more people can learn mm. and not only make them, but also learn how to repair them because the repairing was one of the biggest problems around oxygen mm. concentrators in the mm. second wave. So wow. things like that, is possible when you have access and free access, not just for yourself, but for yeah. the entire community and for people from different, different backgrounds. Mm. The oxygen concentrator was created by uh, not only us, but a group of diving divers in Goa. Mm. Mm. We've been using equipment like this and were able to help adapt that equipment for uh, COVID-like situations. But I'll stop right there because- uh, What an amazing story. Thank you for everything that you did during COVID. I think you must have saved God knows how many lives. But my next question, uh, Weber, is that as someone who owns this incredible space, Maker's Asylum, hmm. how do you decide on which projects or which initiatives to support? Um, 
So, like I said, Makers Asylum is an open community space. So we don't decide that mm -hmm. in the way that the space is an open space. Mm -hmm. uh, if you'd like to come tomorrow and uh, work on a project for mm -hmm. yourself or with another group of people, the space mm -hmm. is open for you to do that. Mm -hmm. The only thing that we want you to do is one, do it yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so learn the tools and do it yourself because we want to use the tools for you you can't come to me and ask me that hey use my tools and make it for me mm -hmm. we don't we're not a service provider we're a mm -hmm. place which is open for the community mm -hmm. where you can come with your friends or otherwise and make stuff and there is a massive community of makers that exist in india and internationally all over the world that's mm -hmm. part of our discord channels whatsapp groups everything telegram groups whatever yeah that is always there to help and support these mm. sort of initiatives. Mm. However, since the pandemic, we have also, uh, I mean, we've always supported open hardware projects and open source projects. Through all our programs as well, we encourage the students to open source their projects towards the end. Uh, so what we did after the pandemic is that we realized that in the pandemic, in the first wave, we managed to make a million facials in mm. 49 days. Mm. So that was scaling up something simple very mm. fast mm. by digital fabrication and distributed manufacturing. Right. On the second wave, we were able to get 600 people from almost seven countries together to work on oxygen concentrators. And we went from knowing zero to making them in a matter of six weeks. Mm. Right. And multiple versions. Yeah. So this was an example of, I would say, accelerated innovation, mm. but, which was community-led. Mm. So what we're trying to do is, uh, since then, uh, we've been working with some really uh, amazing professors at Cambridge University that have written about this now in multiple papers. And we've been working with them to put together a framework mm. that can be used to accelerate more such projects. And mm. since then, we started this uh, initiative uh, around, I mean, we've been... Uh, we have a department inside Makers Asylum now, which is focused on more citizen science-led projects, mm -hmm. which are open source, to be able to do things which are completely open. So if somebody comes up with a project that they want to do, which is focused by the community and open source, mm -hmm. then we have this citizen science sort of a space that we uh, try to support such projects from. Amazing. Amazing. Nice. So we have time for two, maybe three more questions. Sure. Well, you know, a few minutes ago, you did talk about so much happening in the area of technology and you're actually getting back to doing things with your hand. But doing all the work that you're doing, a lot of technology is going into looking at the future. So my question is, how is technology supporting the work that you are doing? So I would say 10 years back, most of this wouldn't have been possible. Right, like what happened in the pandemic for us, the way we were able to scale from zero to a million facials or any of the other projects, that wouldn't be possible without technology. Right. Uh, today as well, uh, the way we work in our projects is that, so for example, uh, there is a student outside right now, she is making a chameleon dress. The idea is that when she goes and hugs people, there is a sensor on her body that uh, detects the color of what the other person is wearing, uh, whatever color dress the other person is wearing, mm -hmm. and then her dress changes into that color. <laughs> so, I mean, it's such a simple project, yeah, but if but you think about amazing, it, it's, yeah. it's such a beautiful project. Just imagine going and hugging people and you become that color, mm -hmm. and then slowly, slowly doing that with many people. So such a warm, beautiful feeling. And 
she's only 15 years old uh, in school right now and working on a project like this. Now, a project like this is possible today because of multiple reasons. One, thanks to the internet that has brought people together yeah. and built communities uh, mm -hmm. which are open to sharing. Now, then of course, there is Arduino-like projects like microcontrollers, which are completely open source. And the idea behind building such a microcontroller that allows young students to be able to make electronics so simple for them, mm -hmm. to be able to literally just drag and drop stuff instead of actually uh, going into the full complexities of sitting down and coding it for hours and hours and hours. It's making them, uh, making it possible for young ones and everyone pretty much to be able to have an idea and go from that idea to actually a physical prototype of it in mm. a matter of days, mm. if not weeks, mm. right? So that's, uh, I think that's what's really exciting. Mm. The fact that you're able to go from, you're able to manifest your idea as much faster today, thanks to technology, you're able to use uh, various tools to be able to make that possible. Imagine if I wanted to create something as simple as uh, this guy mm. and I wanted to make a little prototype of this a uh, few years back, I would have to make a mold for it mm. and then machine that or go to a CNC machine, first CAD that and then use this massive CNC machine to cut this into this final piece to get one piece. If I wanted five of them, oh, that's going to be yeah. quite a lot of money using that CNC machine and making that, right? But today, thanks to 3D printers, we're able to make this in just a matter of uh, a few hours, if nothing else, and then iterate. The design process is all about iteration. You make mm -hmm. one, it fails, you make another one, you make another one, you make another one. Yes. And I think that iterative process is a lot much more accessible thanks to technology today. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we're very happy about that. Yeah. Wow. What a great response. We have my last question to you, and this is for the many, many people who are going to listen to our conversation. A lot of them would be aspiring entrepreneurs like you. As a founder, as an entrepreneur, what would you say are three lessons you would want a lot of young people uh, who are aspiring entrepreneurs to take back from your own journey? Sure. Um, the first one would be to get started. Mm. I mean, that's, uh, that's, I think a lot of us have, like, I work with a lot of young students on a day-to-day -day basis mm. and a lot of them have these amazing ideas and some crazy ideas. Mm. And, uh, before they even start working on them, they shoot it down mm. that it's too simple. It's too complex mm. or it, it's not required or right. it might not work or whatever mm. the mights and could, the would, the maybe the, all of that are the biggest enemies mm. in this picture. Mm. So if they get started and they just go from that simple little idea, like the chameleon dress yeah. to actually putting it together, once mm. it's ready, it's <clears throat> wow, right? Mm. The fact that you've gone make that journey and started making it, that's mm. uh, I think the most important step. So I would really encourage everyone to do that. No matter how crazy is it, just get started with whatever you have around you. Mm. Do some jugard, mm. basically. Believe yeah. in mm -hmm. Number two, uh, I would say uh, uh, this is something that uh, one of, uh, I mean, my advisors told me and I thought was uh, one of the best advices uh, that he gave to me. So I'll share that with everyone as well. Yeah. 
he said that advice is based on survival bias. Mm -hmm. So everyone would love to give you advice mm. and many people will come and give you a lot of advice as mm. to what you should do, what you could mm. do, anything. But mm. it's based on their survival biases, mm. how they've survived in this world. Yeah. So listen to all of them, but then do what you feel mm. is right. Because times have changed, things are different today and it is your life at the end of the day. Yeah. For us as well, at Makers Asylum, if you think about it, it wasn't about making a billion dollar company or a million dollar company. It was yeah. about a place where I fit in. Right. I was trying to build a world for myself, a place where I like to go to work every day. And it's a great culture. I get to work with some amazing people from uh, 13 years of age and share that passion with them to work with some adults. Mm. And that's my little world, right? So that's what's beautiful for me. Mm. Uh, and it's about that, building your own little world. Then uh, the last piece of advice I would say is uh, be ready for uncertainty. And uh, that's one thing that's very key because uh, we saw what happened in the pandemic. Mm. Everything flip-flopped and changed the world. Mm. And uh, uh, this was really good because once you develop that sort of a maker mindset or that Jugard mindset that, hey, you see a problem, you run into it and you start building, that's awesome and very key when it comes to uncertainty. Because whenever there is something different that happens, you always find a nice way to solve that problem. Mm. And I think that's uh, something that I would say is been very key for us because we've run into many troubles. Uh, we've been kicked out of seven spaces, uh, but somehow or the other, we've always come back into a bigger, better, nicer, yeah. stronger space. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. And on that note, Weber, when you're three amazing lessons get started or as the Nike slogans, you know, slogan says, just do it, do whatever I did, do your own jugaad to get started. Second, you said well, that everyone gives advice, but listen to everyone would do what you think is right. And third one you said was be wary of uncertainty. Thank you so much for speaking to me about your own amazing journey. I loved your comment about the rhythm of a carpenter. And I think the way and as you were talking, I was looking back and thinking, and you're so right, the rhythm of a carpenter is so critical in being able to understand the way the carpenter functions. You also shared with me your amazing journey and, and all that you did in the COVID pandemic and how you just pivoted, um, you know, along with your colleagues and did something which the country needed. Thank you also for giving me the amazing example of the chameleon dress. I look forward to seeing it being commercialized one of these days. Thank you again for speaking to me and good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.